When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. On the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. So all-star break for Major League Baseball. The game will be tomorrow in San Diego. Home run derby going on tonight. Uh, Trumbo. Mark Trumbo. He hit, is this right? He hit 28 home runs? No, that's how many he hit tonight. Uh, yeah, who's hit so far? Fraser. Myers. Oh, Trumbo hit 16, sorry. Made it to round two. Trumbo hit 16. Uh, Stanton hit 24. We'll keep you updated. I'm not a big home run derby guy, Matthew. When they first started doing it, I thought it was cool. Now I'm just like, okay, whatever. They're hitting a lot of home runs. Now it's like uh, timed, hey? It's not like how many outs you have. It's a timed event. Oh, it used to be you got 10 outs. Yeah, so now every it's ball all the time. that wasn't a home run was an out. So now it's just how many you can hit in a certain amount of home, home in a certain amount of time. Yes, okay. per, per round. Okay. I like that better. Even though the golden ball was always pretty cool when they brought the golden ball out. Oh, what was that worth? Two or something? Uh, no, no. Well, it was worth... I it's think Trumbo against Adam. Or it's Trumbo against uh, Stanton in one semifinal, and Adam Duvall is going to be up against either Todd Fraser or Carlos Gonzalez. They're doing a bracket this year because it used to be they'd have eight guys, and then the top four would go. But now you're actually playing one other guy. Yeah. All right, Carlos Gonzalez is now hitting. And see how many? How much time? Oh, yeah, it's four minutes. Four minutes. They're going to get tired. Four minutes to a baseball player. That's an eternity. <laughs> Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You can text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. From 8 to 9, Morley Scott will take over with the Eskimo Show. This portion of the show, by the way, presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or it's free, guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Hey, Matthew, I don't know if you remember, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, guess it'll be two weeks on Wednesday. The Edmonton Oilers traded Taylor Hall to the New Jersey Devils for Adam Larson. You probably remember that. Forgot about that one. <laughs> You've already washed it away from your memory. A little, a little amnesia on that one, folks. So it's, 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 it's so interesting now with the old Internet. And you, you know about all the uh, analytics stuff, right? It's, which kind of has a uh, big following in the uh, in the blog community and it, it's very interesting stuff and this is uh, some of the some of the Corsi and all these stats and tracking zone starts and 
Uh, it's a it's a different way to look at the game, and it's a very interesting way to look at the game. And certainly since the Adam Larson trade, I've seen a lot of articles breaking down how he played with the Devils, who he played with, how he played with with different defensive partners, what situations he was put on the ice in, shots for and against while he's on the ice, all this kind of stuff, right? And I find it very interesting. And some of it, some of it suggests that uh, Adam Larson is maybe even a better defenseman than you might think, at least in terms of being able to get the puck out of his own end, right? Which is why he was brought in. He was not brought in to run the power play, help the power play, produce a lot of points. He was brought in to defend and and get that puck out of there. And as Peter Shirelli said on the day of the trade, he's not a sexy player. He's uh, not going to put up tons of points. He's not an elite puck mover, but he's he's good at moving the puck. So he should help the team. Is he going to help it as much as Taylor Hall helped it? I don't know. They play different positions. We'll see. What well, here's and and I and I I. I actually hesitate to do this, Matthew, because I, I really find a lot of this the analytics stuff interesting, and I think it definitely has value. And I know that t- NHL teams use it. They often don't talk about how they use it, but they but they do use it. But the thing that it does is that it individualizes a, a team game, where so much is dependent on your teammates, your opponents, the referees, the ice conditions, random bounces all that kind of stuff. And a lot of this advanced stats stuff, if you want to call it that, started with baseball, which starts with every play in baseball starts with a 1v1 matchup, pitcher versus hitter. There's really not much else going on there, right? So if a hitter does this against a certain type of pitcher, you can kind of quantify that and isolate it. I don't think those types of things are as easy to isolate in hockey and quite frankly, maybe they're not as easy to isolate even in individual sports, right? You watch, you probably watched some of the tennis yesterday. Milos Raonic lost to uh, Andy Murray in the Wimbledon final. You can track a guy's serve, for example. Even so, at the end of the season, at the end of a match, or at the end of the tournament, you're getting a collection of stats against a variety of opponents. Right, I may serve really well against somebody, and against somebody else, my serve may be not so effective. So, you know, some of the Adam Larson, the individualizing it, looking at his, you know the shot share, all that kind of stuff. Again, interesting, valuable. Teams use it, but I also look at it this way because I, I think what Peter Shirelli is doing is. He's looking at the ingredients of the Oilers team, and he's saying this team has had some tasty and appealing ingredients that when you've all thrown into the same stew, well, the stew hasn't been as tasty. Matthew, do we have a call here? Okay, just put put them on hold. I want to ask you something before we bring them on. Matthew, have you ever taken a clove of garlic and just eaten it? Uh, absolutely not. Right. You wouldn't do that. No. But most people like garlic when you throw it in a recipe. Exactly. So, Adam Larson is a clove of garlic. He gives you bad breath. No, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I mean, we can analyze, we, we can pluck, we can pluck that clove of garlic and we can pick it to bits and we can taste it. 
But we ain't going to really know how it fits into the recipe until we see it with all the other ingredients. That's what I'm saying. And that's what Shirelli's looking at. He, he has said, I think the team has improved significantly. I don't think it's significant. I think it's improvement. I don't think it's significant. But again, we will see. But I think you can almost overanalyze an individual player to death because we really don't know until we see how he fits in with the group. Chris is on the line. Hello, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? Doing great. Well, actually, I agree with what you just said, is that we should welcome this young player and, and not get out his back, number one. But anyways, I want to go back to the call that about the field goal. I totally agree that they should have gone for it because considering the situation, they were supposed to lose. Can you imagine if they would have made it and made the touchdown, what that would have done for Chris Jones's team? The whole, the whole CFL would have blown up. Right? <laughs> this, is why, this is why I love the CFL. I mean, if I was the coach, you betcha, I'd have gone for it. Absolutely, 100%. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I think the, the expectations in Saskatchewan are moderate. I think a lot of people would be thrilled if they got to 9-9. Nine and nine. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if Saskatchewan had won that game, yeah. it would have been it would have been more hurtful to the Eskimos oh, than yeah, it would have sure. been helpful to the Riders. Well, I don't know. I think because they were kind of they're kind of sitting back waiting. The Saskatchewan fans, right, and kind of with their hands on their hips, going, "All right, what's going to go on?" But if he would have pulled that off, <laughs> that would have been that would have been fantastic. I mean, we're going to win eventually. We know that, right? But just it was such a great game. <laughs> well, a classic game, two in a row to start the season, and this one was probably more more thrilling than the Ottawa one, though I was not in the stadium for the Ottawa one. I was watching and listening online um, yeah. from Buffalo. I, I will say this, and, and you know, you know, I, I poke fun at Chris Jones and his accent, and he's oh, vilified yeah. in this city. But, I mean, his teams, Chris, you can already see it with this Riders team. You they bet. play together, and yep. they play with energy. They do not do much creative offensively. No. Um, but they stick with the game plan, and he gets that belief in them. I think this year, especially on – he, he doesn't have as good of players as he had last year. Is the belief is that if he could have just pushed it, right, and Duran could have connected, do you know what that would have done for that team? Holy mackerel. Yeah. No, they're going to be good. And they, they – I mean, they might be – who knows? Maybe they're in the top three in the West by the end of the year. It's going to be tough. Because I still think Edmonton's going to be good. I think Buono oh, sure. is an outstanding coach, and he seems yep. to have the Lions doing good things, even though they well, lost to Toronto. <laughs> Vancouver scares me this year. It's anyway. the Buono factor, man. And here's the thing about Buono, Chris. He always has two quarterbacks. He never yep. settles with one, right? That's right. He's in Calgary. He always had two. In BC, he always makes sure he has two. And right? you don't need that in the CFL? This, this man has so many years of experience, it should be just mandatory to have two quarterbacks. Yeah, he knows exactly what he wants. And, and, I, and I think Buono is, I mean, he's, he's a great coach too. And I think Moss has potential to be really good here in Edmonton as well. But I think this, he's, this is going to be a bit of a learning season for him. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, no, I think the Eskies are going to do just fine this year. I've been a fan for a thousand years. But uh, in terms of coaching, just raw coaching, uh, what Joe's, I would do it 100%. I, I agree with you. And, and the thing of it is is that he would have been the greatest coach in the world if they would have made it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Anyways, have a good night. Buddy. Thanks for that. Thanks for calling, Chris. 780-496-0063. It is 718. 
Uh, we're kind of going back and forth between our two teams tonight. That is okay. Jeff says on the text line, the Oilers have been less than the sum of their parts. You know what? And th- that's a great point. That's that's a great point. You Sometimes you look at a roster and it's, you know what, it's, it's more than just the, the Oilers of the past few years. I mean, there have been, um, I mean, look, uh, I mean, Matthew, look how many years in the NFL the Washington Redskins under Schneider. Not so much recently, but a few years ago. They'd go and sign all the free agents, right? They'd snap up all the big free agents. They would never win. Albert Hainsworth was terrible. Wasn't, weren't the Eagles supposed to be really good a couple years ago? They got all the free agents. They got that cornerback from the Raiders, and they didn't win. So, see, it, it's the combination. And, and, that's, and that's another thing for fans to remember, is that if you're a general manager of a team, whether it's the Oilers or anybody else, of course you're looking at stats and performance and all that kind of stuff. You're also gauging personalities. And that's one thing that general managers and coaches have access to that information beyond anybody else, even those of us in, in the media who are around the team, because ultimately our relationship with the players is is pretty professional. You can get a sense of a guy sometimes, but he wants to do the interview and then go home. You want to get your stuff and and file and you're hoping to get the best stuff but a lot of times the players give you the cliches and they and, you, and they get out of there and and that's what I think Shirelli wanted with Lucic as well is not just his ability but he really seems to believe Lucic is a solid human being and it doesn't mean that anybody else isn't but he, he praised the way he prepares he praised the way he uh keeps in shape, you know, he praised his attitude, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And that's part of the ingredient. Whether whether you like it or not, and it's hard to quantify that. And that's why I totally respect the analytics work. But at the end of the day, you're not measuring the personality and and the things that the guy might bring in terms of leadership or positivity or helping other players along. And that's, and that's what Shirelli has to see. That's what Ed Hervey has to see. That's what McClellan has to see. That's what Moss has to see when they're assembling the team as a whole. And they get back to Chris Jones. I think Chris Jones sees that. He knows the type of player and human being that he wants. He wants to find the guys who are all going to pull in the same direction regardless of the situation in the game. And Jeff's right. The Oilers have been less than the sum of their parts. How many years in a row have we said, well, I don't think they're good enough to make the playoffs, or maybe they're good enough to get in, but they should be a better than last year. And they've still wound up 28th, 29th, or 30th. So Shirelli's, Shirelli's changing the ingredients, and he's not just doing it with what he sees on the ice. He's doing it from what he knows about people, or he thinks he knows, as human beings. And, that, and, that, and to me, that's what makes this whole project with him fascinating. 721, we got to take a break. Inside Sports on Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's 724. Bullseye texting in. He says the New York Rangers are a classic example of players not living up to the sum of their parts. Uh, well, I mean, and certainly I remember that. I mean, they had that super team in 94 that, that won the Stanley Cup. I guess that's a long time ago now. To East me, Oilers. The East Oilers, yeah, they did have a lot of Oilers on that team. Who was on that team? Messier? Messier, Tikkanen, Boogaboom, Anderson, Graves. Was Smith on that team? No, Steve Smith was not on that team. He was with the Blackhawks at the time, I think. Okay. Did he ever go to the Rangers? No, I guess he didn't, did he? Kevin Lowe did. Kevin Lowe was on Lowe the team. Lowe was on the team, Lowe of was course. on the team, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, beat Vancouver in the final. Imagine if they would have lost that game. Whew. But, 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 I mean, that team certainly. But, yeah, there were the Rangers teams in, in, I guess, the late 90s. I mean, they signed a lot of free agents. Like, Fleury went there, Lindros went there, and it was like, okay, yeah, the Rangers are going to be good, and it just never came together. And that's an interesting thing about a, a team environment, too. This might sound silly, but is, is there such a thing as having too many stars on your team? And what, did, what we had Paul Sur on last week from Basketball Alberta uh, when Kevin Durant signed with Golden State. Right? One of the best scorers of the last five, six years in the NBA, right? There, there's only one basketball. And in, in the NBA, I mean, it's not like a, a frantic game like hockey where the puck's moving around all the time. You kind of, one guy brings it up, might pass it, there might be one other pass, that guy takes it to the basket or takes a shot. So <laughs> is, is that going to work or will that create issues because there's only one ball to go around? That, that, that's the great thing about team building, and we'd like to say that there are absolutes that will work. They're often art. It seems like to me, Reed, that in basketball, for some reason, these super teams tend to work a lot better than other teams in other leagues compared to like the NFL, the, uh, you know, the NBA, or the NBA, excuse me, the NHL, I meant to say. Because the NHL just didn't seem like it works. Like, it doesn't seem like the, the team can gel compared to in the NBA where the, that team can gel. Like, look at the Miami Heat had LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. You know, Chris Bosch, and they won a championship. Well, they won a couple I, I, of championships. And again, and I suppose a lot of that too depends on attitude. Are are your star players willing to not necessarily be treated like stars? Right? Are they are they willing to challenge each other? Right? Is Brent Seabrook willing to go over to the penalty box and tell Jonathan Taves to settle the what down? Right? You remember that in the playoffs a few years ago? Yeah. I mean, you you could argue the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Taves, Kane, Seabrook, and Keith have four of the, what, top 20 players in the NHL? Four of the top 30? It's worked for them most years. Now, what is Jonathan Taves known for? Hardworking, putting putting the team first. Kane, okay, he's had, obviously, the other troubles and stuff, and he's a flamboyant player, but in the game, he, he fits into the team concept, right? Anyway, interesting stuff. Matt texting into 636-30. He says, you can never have too many stars. Look at Real Madrid. That is a soccer reference, so I don't get it. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I've been teasing the Olympic team stuff. We will get to that because this is a big event for our city today, the track and field team named. And uh, we will talk some soccer with Jesus before 8 tonight. This is Oscar Kleffbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. So the Eskimos and the Blue Bombers' first road game of the season for the Eskimos is on Thursday, 5 o'clock for the pregame show right here on 630 Chad. The kickoff will be at 6.30. Of course, the Eskimos and 6.30 Chad broadcast partners for the next six CFL seasons. Reed Wilkins with you. Tell you what, I had a great morning. I went down to City Hall 
They announced the 65 men and women who will represent Canada in track and field at the Olympic Games in Rio. Uh, you're going to hear from uh, them over the next couple of nights here on 630 Chet Inside Sports because I grabbed some interviews when I was down there. But first, to uh, kind of a wrap-up to the weekend and a look ahead, Peter Ogilvie from Track Town Canada. Peter, welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this uh, two weeks in a row. Uh, how are you doing, Matt? I'm, I'm doing good, Reed. It's, uh, it was a fantastic weekend. We uh, Edmontonians should be really proud of the event that we staged here, and uh, we really did showcase the best of, of what we can do and, and the hospitality that we showed for the athletes. And Ultimately, they paid us back with some fantastic performances on the track. Well, after I'm done with you, Peter, I'm going to play the interview I did with Kendra Clark, who is 19, didn't really think she was going to make the Olympics this time around, and made the Olympics by one one-hundredth of a second. She's a graduate of Holy Trinity High School in Edmonton, and she's got to be one of the most incredible stories out of the weekend. Absolutely. What what can, what else can you tell us about uh, Kendra? Because she she has been successful on foot field in the past, has she not? She has, you know. And and for last year, to kind of back up a year ago, uh, we were hosting the uh, Canadian Championships and the selection trials uh, for the junior team that would be competing later on in the summer uh, at the Pan American Junior Track and Field Championships, and that was the first ever event held in western north america so it was a very important event for the city the only canadian gold medalist at that championship was edmonton's own kendra clark she pulled it out of the bag she won the 400 and you know here we are a year later and uh you know like you said this young 20 year old girl now going to the olympics what a success story and and what a what a great athlete yeah, that's for sure. I'm going to play the interview I did with her in a few minutes. I think people will really uh, enjoy her personality and, and her uh, exuberance about making the, the Olympic team. T- tell people how, how that works, because um, I mean, people were asking me, so what, the top two, the top three go from each event? It's not quite that simple, is it? No, no, it, it is. It's tough. So um, at the very core of the selection process, uh, first of all, one has to attain the Olympic standard for qualifying, so it's a set performance standard, and there's certain criteria in there uh, that really looks at repeatability, uh, meaning are you an athlete that can make that standard uh, more than once? If you are hitting that standard, there's a good potential that uh, in moving forward into the Olympics, you would be uh, more or less a candidate to try to get into the semifinals or a final. So uh, that Olympic standard is an important thing, a benchmark to hit to even get into the Games. However, Athletics Canada also has a a tighter standard on performance, how many people can get into the event. We know that three are allowed uh, per country, per event, but some events are deep in our country, some are not. Going into most of the events, uh, we have very, very strong fields. So the selection standard for Canada was top two automatic with Olympic standard and the third was subject to uh, a review by the national team coaching selection committee and then from there they'll make the decision so they deliberated they started last night at 6 six thirty, I believe and they finished at midnight so they go through the wow. whole roster oh, so it's a long evening for them going through every single event 
and then from there they'll select the team and uh, basically the 65 athletes that were showing up on the steps today were uh, were a product of that process. Tell me a little bit about what happened in the sprints, uh, Peter, because Andre de Grasse is a big name. He ran, uh, I believe it was a 9.99 in the 100 meters to win, so he got uh, he got sub-10 seconds there. But a uh, bit, bit of an upset in the 200 meters. What went down? Well, you know what? Again, there's eight lanes on a track, and everybody can have their day. Uh, in this situation where Andre versus Aaron Brown in the 100, we expected a great showdown. Uh, and the crowd was treated to that on the uh, on the, the Saturday night with Andre winning in 9.99. Fantastic crowd. First time ever over 10,000 people were there at Footfield. So the atmosphere was truly electric. On Sunday, we were about to get going. And as many Edmontonians know, the rain came in that afternoon. And we had a delay. Once the delay was lifted about an hour later, the men's 200 resumed. Uh, and it was a fantastic showcase. We had an athlete that was competing in the NCAA system, Brendan Rodney. Uh, he drew a good lane, and in front of him was, was both Aaron Brown and Andre DeGrasse. And it was a fantastic race, and Brendan just ran around, um, clipped them, and, and just went and ran 1996. So it was the fastest time of the year for a Canadian and second fastest behind Andre's Canadian record last year that he set uh, at the Pan Am Games running uh, and winning uh, in the 200. So if the weather conditions were ideal, really, you know, Brendan is, is at the same level as Andre de Grasse in the 200 right now. So it makes for a great, great competition this Friday because Andre is going to be running the 200 against uh, Brendan. So it's, uh, we're going to have a fantastic event world-class athletes are coming in and that's just the tip of the iceberg well and perfect uh, perfect segue because track town canada is uh is this weekend so this is uh some of these canadian olympians and then uh, athletes from other parts of the world too absolutely absolutely We've got uh, members of the u.s olympic team jamaican olympic team uh from bahamas barbados trinidad dominican republic mexico uh i can go on and on and it's just going to be a fantastic event uh, and it's, uh, it is the Olympic preview. It's the last major meet in North America prior to the Games. Okay. And is this Friday and Saturday? Just Friday night. Starts Friday at night. 6 o'clock. Okay. And we'll finish roughly two and a half, later, uh, two and a half hours later. So close to around uh, 8.30, the whole event is done. So it's really uh, a bit of an encore presentation, as we're calling it. You, uh, for many of the people that were watching the uh, Olympic track and field trials, come on back. You're going to see a fantastic event on the Friday night. Um, and what uh, you know, what will be billed as you know, a great Olympic preview. Okay, awesome stuff. Ellen, uh, give the website again for that if people want to go. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tracktowncan.com uh, is our main website. All the information is there. We also have a specific uh, website for the classic. It's called tracktownclassic.com, and that has information specific on the uh, the meet on Friday too. Okay, awesome. Peter, thanks for joining us. Uh, two exciting weekends here at Track and Field here in our city, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks. We appreciate it. That's Peter Ogilvy checking in uh, tonight. And, uh, yeah, I want, I want to get to this interview here with, uh, with Kendra Clark, the young Edmontonian graduate of Holy Trinity High School, going to the Olympics. She's going to be in the 400 meters and the 4x400 relay. Pretty overwhelming. I'm very happy that I made this team, like, my very first Olympics. It's 
It's an amazing honor to represent my country. Where did this journey start for you to becoming, you know, an, an elite athlete? Where did it sort of start clicking for you? Well, for me, I never started track and field um, with a club professionally, really, until like when I was 16 years old with Dwight Francis, and then ever since then, I've just been working hard, um, also doing school in the states at Johnson C. Smith University. Coach Lenos Graham has also been helping me, and from since junior Pan Ams, when I won the 400 meter, I was thinking, you know what, anything can happen in the next four years, so why not just go for the Olympics now? Yeah. Well, because it's pretty cool to make it as a 19-year-old. Is that like an accelerated timetable for you? I mean, in a way it is. I, I, to be honest, I thought I would probably achieve more towards the 2021, but, you know, at 19 years old making this 2016, it's it's amazing. It's, I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm pretty shocked. Uh, to take me through, uh, you know, actually qualifying this weekend. Did you feel going in like, all right, I'm a favorite. This is mine to grab, or how did you approach it? And see, actually, I actually wasn't a favorite, and especially even last year, I was always known as the underdog because my time was always the lowest. But whenever I actually run on my home track, it's like I'm, I'm just motivated to do my best. Like I, I, I'm always motivated to do my best in a race. But this was just like something even bigger. So when I won the semifinals, I'm like, okay, at this very moment, people are really going to bring it in the final. So that's exactly what I need to do as well and in the finals I did believe that I gave it my best but you know Alicia Brown and Carly Murr had also won it just as much as I did and when I actually saw that I got the qualifying time of 52.19 I was like ah! <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> yeah did you have any family and friends watching you over the weekend yeah. or yeah yes I had my mom my grandma my aunties and uncles and all my friends just supporting me my track family and my coaches <sighs> I'm just so grateful for their support, and I know that they're going to support me all the way through, no matter what happens. So tell me what happens between now and and Rio. I mean, I guess this is kind of new to you, but how do you how do you stay in shape and make sure you're peaking at the right time? Well, see, for me, I'm normally I should actually be peaking around this time, but personally for me, I don't believe in peaking, especially if you want something really bad. You're just going to keep on going for it. So for the next few weeks, it's just going to be nonstop training, um, doing some good weights, and just staying healthy, good nutrition. Yeah. yeah. What did your family and friends say to you when they realized they now know an Olympic athlete? Well, for my mom, she has an Olympian daughter, which is pretty cool to know. For everyone else in my family, I'm pretty sure that um, they're proud and probably going to have some bragging rights as well. I'm pretty sure they're probably more excited than I am at this moment. I'm, I'm very excited, but they, like I said, they have bragging rights now. Yeah. Right on. Uh, any coaches or anybody you want to thank? Oh, well, first of all, I'd definitely like to thank God, my mother, um, my two wonderful coaches here and in Charlotte, North Carolina, Dwight Francis and Lennox Graham, my family and friends for always supporting me, and uh, I really do hope to make you and all of Canada proud. So where are you going to school now? I go to Johnson C. Smith University. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. It's a historically black college. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, did you need to to, to go to, to go to an American school to really sort of keep your career going? In a way, yes, because NCAA just has, like, that good competition for you. And especially, like, in Canada, you get the good competition, but sometimes you just want more because the the way it was for me, I did win a lot of competitions here, but the thing is, I started to dislike winning because whenever I won, I never got a PB. Whenever I when I went to NCAA and competed there, I would lose, and I was actually happy about it because I could just work for it to get a PB and to get to that better level. So I'm very happy to be in the NCAA. Man, that was great to meet Kendra Clark today at uh, City Hall. Uh, like I said, out of Holy Trinity High School in Edmonton, she mentioned she's going to Johnson C. Smith uh, Collegiate in, in North Carolina. 
and uh, great things ahead for her. Wasn't sure she would make it this year. She was more looking to 2020. But one of three Edmontonians to make the track and field team, Carleen Muir, she's going to be in the same events as Kendra, the 400 and the 4x4. And Angela White, at the age of 36, qualifies for the Olympics for the third time. We'll have Angela on Inside Sports tomorrow night. Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right, or it's free guarantee. You can visit them online actionfurnace.ca. Morley Scott has the Eskimo show coming up from 8 to 9. Next, Jesus drops in. Halftime at the Savile Centre. Third and final game of the Edmonton Grads International Classic. Canada leading China 35-28 as they try to sweep that three-game series. Just checking out the box score here. We have Michelle Plouffe, uh, no points and uh, three rebounds in eight and a half minutes. Catherine Plouffe, ten minutes of playing time, two points, three rebounds. The uh, Edmontonians on that team. I went to the game last night. Close game. Canada was able to pull away in about the last six minutes of the fourth quarter. Eskimos news and notes today, or from the last couple days, I guess. Linebacker Alex Hoffman-Ellis, they got him in a trade last week. Torn bicep out three to four months. Quarterback Thomas DeMarco has been released. D-lineman Cedric McKinley traded to the Riders for an eighth-round pick. Uh, Andrew Johnson, Edmonton kid, re-signed to the practice roster. He's a receiver. Linebacker Donnie Baggs has been uh, re-signed. He went to Texas A&M. And Joe McKnight will not play at kick returner Thursday against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Kenzel Doe will come back in to return kicks. More on the Eskimos page on 630Ched.com. And also go to their website for more on the three Canadians named to the uh, Canadian track and field team. All right. Hey, how about uh, this? Did you see this yesterday? Escapada ali da mão dele. João Montinho não domina. Agora ele vai disputar ali com o Griezmann, leva melhor. William Carvalho, Quaresma. De novo Moutinho. Tenta com o Éder. Brigando ali com o Concioni. Ganhou o Éder. Abre o espaço. A batida! about that the only goal in the euro final portugal in extra time one nil over france huge portuguese supporter my former sports department colleague at newcap television in lloyd minster and now with global television here in edmonton kevin jesus back on the show kevin how are you doing buddy no i'm doing pretty darn good <laughs> Reed, how are you doing bud now uh was did i get the portuguese goal call was that the right one because i don't understand any language except english <laughs> That was actually the Brazilian goal call. I will send you a link of the Portuguese one, and I promise you it's 100 times better. But the Brazilians would have been cheering for the Portuguese, right? I, I would hope so. So what was he saying? Because the language was still Portuguese. Yeah, exactly. And all he said was the names of the players and then the greatest sound that any Portuguese supporter could understand, goal. And that's all that matters. So what's this guy's name? Is it Eder? Like rhymes with header? Yes, Eder. Yeah. Okay, so he's now the most famous person in Portugal. No, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, he's uh, pretty well, like, considering uh, the second he got substituted in, my first reaction was like, oh, what are they doing? He never does anything. 
So I'm now eating my words, and I'm really glad that he proved me wrong. All right. Well, he's the guy they I, when they put in, they said, well, he's an offensive player, but he only has three goals in 25 games or something. Yeah, he's just never performed. So All right. Except, you know, he did. All right. So you're a, a huge soccer fan. Obviously, you're a huge uh, Portugal supporter. You were heartbroken when they lost the final in 2004. They have tons of international semifinals that they've yep. lost in. So you're watching that game yesterday, and the best player – I mean, I don't know if he's the best player in the world, but I assume he's still top five. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo gets subbed out. I mean, what are you thinking? Uh, you know what? What I'm as soon as he went down with that injury, you know, your heart kind of skips a beat. Um, and then as soon as you started seeing him running on the pitch, immediately uh, myself, all my family members were just like, "He needs to come off. He's now hurting the team if he stays on." And when he made the decision and called over to the sidelines that he wanted to be subbed off. Number one, that showed great leadership that he put the team ahead of himself, and it really just showed that he had to be in tremendous amount of pain uh, to be able to miss uh, arguably the biggest game of his life. But did you think they had a chance without him? Absolutely, because you know what? Everyone says that Portugal is all about Ronaldo, um, but this year was different. This year the rest of the team was really pulling together, and that's what head coach Fernando Santos, that's what he has done with this team, is he put them together. He truly made this team from Ricardo Koreshma from Nani, they all worked together and that was the beauty of it. Rui Patricio, the goaltender, had an unbelievable performance. Pep, uh, back on defense, I know he's probably the world's most hated player, but he did the job well. In fact, after the game, camera showed him puking on the field. I mean, he laid it all out on the line. Well, that's, so, why, that's yeah. why people hate him. He pukes on their shoes after the game. <laughs> exactly. No, but at the end of the day, they are a team. Uh, it's certainly a lot harder with Ronaldo out. But uh, he certainly inspired them, and, um, you know, they got the job done. How concerned were you over the final 20 minutes of regulation? Because from what I know, and you know way more than me, I thought France pretty much owned the ball. Well, it was, it, France dominated that game. I mean, let's be honest. This was not a game that was uh, beautiful by any means of or any stretch of the imagination. In fact, to steal your analogy, read from earlier today, it was like a piece of garlic. It wasn't pretty, but the end result was savory, okay? <laughs> okay, nice. Can't work enough <laughs> cooking references into uh, inside sports. So am I right here that Portugal played seven matches in this tournament and six of them were tied after 90 minutes? Yep, they only won uh, the one game in regulation time, and that was the semifinal against Wales. So they were a third-place team that got through with three ties. They beat yep. Croatia in extra time. They beat Poland on penalties. Uh, they beat Wales in regulation, and they beat France, obviously. So, like, I know how tense you get, Kevin. Like, you, you yep. must – how did you make it through the last month? Uh, I'm pretty sure I have more gray hairs. I've also lost a lot more hair. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, if my family doctor is hearing, he's probably going to ask for some more uh, blood pressure uh, test results because it was tense moments. But uh, you know what? It's good. I mean, that was that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of soccer is that you know you never know what you're going to get. It's always uh, tough games. And I mean, hey, let's face it. There's a lot, been a lot of criticism of Portugal how they won this tournament, saying that they only won, you know they only won one regulation uh, game. Uh, but at the end of the day. They had a tough group, even though it looked easy on paper. It was certainly a tough group. Portugal certainly outplayed Austria and uh, Iceland along the way. And if you look at it in the playoff round, Croatia was a group winner. They ended up beating them. France was a group winner in the host nation. They ended up beating them. Wales had a heck of a tournament. They ended up beating them. And Poland, certainly no pushover. In fact, Poland never trailed for one minute in this entire tournament, and they lost in the uh, quarterfinals. So 
Uh, Portugal certainly deserved it, and uh, they're uh, well-deserving of winning their first-ever major championship. All right. Well, I, I hope you had a great uh, party with your family and friends yesterday. I'm sure it'll continue through the week, and uh, now you can stick it to Slav Kornick when you see him at Global Television. <laughs> I will let him know that you said that. Kevin, thanks for updating us through the tournament. Let, we'll keep having you on to talk other stuff, okay? Definitely. Thanks, bud. Take care. That is Kevin Jesus from Global TV, a very happy member of Edmonton's Portuguese community. Morley Scott, can you hear me? Get in here, Morley. I can listen to some Def Leppard while you walk into the room. Morley, what's coming up on the Eskimo show, old friend? Uh, we're going to look back to Friday night, try and relive the madness a little bit. Uh, we're also going to talk with head coach Jason Moss, Blake Dermott's in, go to Winnipeg and chat with uh, legendary broadcaster Bob Irving, uh, Marcus Howard, Kenny Ladler. How's that? Sounds great. Is uh, J- the Jason Moss interview going to be cleaner than the one we had at halftime on Friday? It is now. <laughs> it's worth checking the audio vault if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Morley's got the Eskimo show from 8 to 9. Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. I have inside sports from 6 to 9. Uh, Olympic basketball referee Karen Lasuk will be among my guests. Producer of the show is Dave Campbell. The studio producer is Matthew Panaschik. I'm Reed Wilkins. I love you. Talk to you tomorrow. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.